Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investments. These are entirely our own views. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB who will be happy to chat if you need. I'll start today's podcast by saying, wow, we're, uh, we're three quarters of the way through the year already and, and gee, a lot's been happening. Uh, as you'll probably be able to tell from the sound, uh, I'm still stuck at home uh, recording uh, this podcast from the comfort of my office and Gee, it's a week into October and we're already really busy. The uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand's raised the official cash rate. Global investors have had a few things to be jittery about over the um, over the last month or so uh, regarding some offshore developments. And uh, we're still in uh, alert level three for us in Auckland and, and some uh, folk in the Waikato as well. On a positive note, uh, having lagged over the first part of the year, the local share markets uh, posted quite encouraging gains over the third quarter, and that's been good news for our investors. So there's plenty to talk about, and joining me from Singapore is BlackRock's Asia-Pacific Chief Investment Strategist, Ben Powell. Ben, thanks for calling me today. Hi, it's great to be with you, Chris. I hope you're keeping well and uh, you know, getting through this very strange time. Uh, hopefully, we're coming towards the end of it and can uh, get back to something a bit more normal uh, uh, as soon as is uh, practical, possible, and so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the story, isn't it? How's it going up in Singapore? It looks like uh, the latest outbreak up there is is tough, and like New Zealand, it's 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 harder to get on top of than last year's waves. Is that is that the feeling up there? Kind of. I mean, the the, the, the I suppose the new strategy is not so much to get on top of the uh, the outbreak, but to to deal with it. So we've gone from uh, kind of highly restrictive measures. Uh, and during that time, we vaccinated uh, kind of everyone. So I think we're at 80% uh, total vaccination rate. So not everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but a very high vaccination rate. So with that kind of in the bank, we are now uh, carefully, cautiously kind of going for it and opening up uh, even in the face of, uh, I think, three and a half thousand cases today. Even with that, you know, the game is now uh, live with it, I suppose, um, which isn't a great outcome, but seems to be maybe the outcome that is... Uh, uh, available uh, and therefore that's what we've got to work with. Yeah, New Zealand's New Zealand's at that sort of tipping point now. We're not there in terms of the vaccinations. They've picked up a lot over the past couple of months. We're sitting at around fifty percent fully vaccinated and and eighty percent with one dose. So so there's still a bit of work to do, and uh, and hence we're still fairly re- restricted here and uh, and working from home as I mentioned. What about you? Have you been um, working from home or do you get into the office? So Tell us a bit about your role and how, how it's working. Uh, yeah, with pleasure. So, so uh, I'm the chief Asia strategist. Uh, and uh, in the olden days, I used to travel uh, around, uh, including to, uh, uh, to New Zealand, of course, to kind of talk about what we as the world's largest asset manager, uh, what we're seeing, what we're thinking, and, and so forth. And I have to say, that seems like a different universe or a different lifetime because uh, for the last uh, 18 months and more, uh, I've been in my little room here. I guess I get out occasionally, but in terms of a work uh, uh, context, uh, this little room at home has been my base. Uh, so we're still at home for the most part. Uh, uh, that hopefully, as I say, is going to change uh, you know, in the not too distant future. Uh, but for the moment, it's still a virtual life, a uh, virtual existence with, uh, uh, with Zoom and uh, 150 other platforms that we've all got familiar with over the, uh, the last 18 months. So no, still at home and still... Uh, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I am uh, 
struggling would be a bit strong, but I am very much looking forward to getting back to the real. Uh, it seems to me the real world is better than the virtual world. So uh, I can't wait for that, but not quite there yet, unfortunately, Chris. Yeah, that that sounds uh, very, very similar. And um, we've, uh, we've got used to uh, living without things like... Um, lock-ins that we used to go to for data releases, being able to go and meet with uh, with the Reserve Bank of New Zealand and so forth. And uh, today we did uh, yet another um, official cash rate meeting where we were just all staring at uh, online and refreshing our screens, waiting for the uh, for the news to come out, rather than being in the in the dealing room or or in a uh, in a briefing room. So, yeah, it's a bit of a change of scene, but um, in some ways we're we're getting there, and uh, it's good that we uh, do more stuff like this podcast, which we can use the technology to make it um, work. And on that uh, note, did you uh, get a chance to have a quick look at the um, the Reserve Bank announcement today? We're one of the first banks to uh, to hike our official cash rate. I did. I mean, it's so interesting. Uh, RBNZ, something of uh, an outlier, I guess, in terms of uh, hiking. I guess hiking in general is quite uh, unusual globally, but in particular hiking while you know restrictions are still uh, there. But I guess that's because they're much more focused on uh, uh, the medium-term outlook. Uh, Chris, I'd be so interested. How are you guys uh, uh, seeing it, both today's kind of uh, move and, and, and maybe what's going to happen, uh, uh, I guess, specifically with mortgages? I'd be interested because that's I guess very important to many people listening here, and you know it's a key, uh, maybe the key uh, rate in their life is mortgages. So, how did you see it? What do you think is going to happen? And I'd be particularly interested in any comments you might have on on mortgages, Chris. If uh, uh, if you've got yeah, to. yeah, that's um good, good, good area. And you're right, mortgages are where the rubber hits the road, and. Uh, and they were, they just got so low by New Zealand standards over the last last year or so, and the Reserve Bank had telegraphed pretty strongly this uh, this rate hike. Um, it, it, we expected it at their previous meeting, but that was right when the outbreak occurred. And I must say, in the days running up to this meeting, we were still sort of pinching ourselves, going, "Are they really going to hike when we're still grappling with COVID?" And uh, today, when we looked at their um, their actual commentary that they put out along with the announcement to lift the cash rate by a quarter of a percent, they're very much focused on the medium-term outlook um, where the economy is now starting to run pretty strong and has been generating quite a lot of inflation pressures. So not only have they um, lifted the rate today, but but they've stuck with that message that more increases are coming. And the interesting thing for mortgages is they've already ridden, risen um, for, for some of the longer terms at least, well over a percent since the lows of the start of the year. So we haven't seen massive adjustments or or any big sort of changes on that front yet, but we were getting down to mortgage rates close to 2% and now they're all getting up in that 3 to 4% range. So they've risen quite a bit and we think that this... Um, signalling today from the Reserve Bank probably means they've got a, a bit further to, to go. But by a historic basis, um, rates still still aren't aren't high at all. Um, you know, if you can still get some mortgage terms for below uh, below 3%, which in a New Zealand sense is the last time we saw that was back in the 1960s. So um, they're still low rates, but definitely on the on on the rise. So that's uh, that was our take on 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 today. And what's, if you don't mind a follow-up, what's what's driving that? I mean, so normally there are concerns that very low rates can create asset inflation, I guess, property and so forth. Is that 
is that what's on the RBNZ's mind? Do you think are they are they nervous that we could see, you know, uh, house price inflation uh, persist, and that can be uh, kind of uh, disharmonious, right? It can create uh, incremental inequality and, uh, and and so on. Is that kind of the RBNZ? Is that their their key motivation? Do you think for trying to uh, carefully, I'm sure, but kind of trying to carefully uh, uh, resist that? I suppose. Do you think that's where they're coming from? Yeah, there's there's a couple of aspects to that. One in the New Zealand economy, um, we get a tremendous wealth effect from from house price appreciation in a similar way to the um, to the US share market. Um, and and so when we see these periods of really strong house price appreciation, like we've had over the past twelve months, it often goes hand in hand with broad uh, strength in consumption and 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 in turn inflation pressures. But the uh, the Reserve Bank also, from from a housing price perspective, has for uh, for many years now um, leaned on their macro prudential tools, so their lending restrictions, and they brought them back into into play earlier this year. Um, but I think now um, the the rate increases are are part of a concern about just the overall strength that's been spooling up. Um, Largely because of the strength we've seen in, in in the housing market, so but they were um they really they really tend to try and keep them separate. But those macro prudential tools hand in hand with these rate increases and expectations of more um, should certainly go a long way to dampening down the uh, the the pressure we've seen in the housing market. And I think they'd see that as a uh, very very favourable development. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a very interesting time and. Um, It'll be interesting to see over the next three months because we're now going into what's really the really busy period for housing uh, markets as we go into spring. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, a third of the countries are still in quite high lockdown. So it's going to be a very interesting period for, uh, for, for mortgages for, and for potential home buyers over the next few months, that's for sure. So um, it feels like a long way ahead, though. Like we, what have we seen? Norway and, and South Korea as other central banks that have raised rates, but it still feels like a long way ahead of the of the major central banks in the in in the world. How out of sync do you think we are here raising rates compared to your expectations of other central banks raising rates around the world? Yeah, Chris, it's pretty unusual. So I think uh, you identify the the, the right uh, spots. I might want to add China. Kind of, it's a different kettle of fish for all sorts of reasons, but China. Uh, kind of didn't cut rates uh, and stayed uh, astonishingly uh, kind of prudent or even hawkish through the uh, uh, the COVID situation, which in China still uh, persists with restrictions. So China's uh, a bit different, but let's uh, stay with developed markets. Uh, what's so interesting is, uh, it seems to us at least at, uh, at BlackRock, that uh, the Fed and ECB and other central banks uh, are staying uh, dovish, very dovish. Uh, we can talk about tapering and so on shortly, but it seems philosophically uh, these other West, Western central banks are staying dovish to try to support uh, what the Fed might call diverse and inclusive growth. Uh, and basically, this uh, uh, the Chinese phrase I like is social harmony, right? The sense that we're all in it together. We've had a tough year and a half. Let's keep rates low, run the economy a bit hot because that'll be great for the labor market and, uh, uh, and for people generally, right? So that's kind of where it seems to us, at least, where the Fed is, uh, is coming from. But in uh, Korea uh, and maybe New Zealand, uh, you guys would know a lot more than I, but it seems uh, uh, there's the same sort of thought, which is we want to have uh, uh, you know, a focus on uh, a harmony and inequality is bad, uh, and therefore raising rates is actually a good idea. 
because if house prices become unaffordable for uh, the younger generation or for people more generally, then that's not necessarily good for the country either. So it's quite interesting to see, uh, I guess, the RBNZ, uh, Bank of Korea, a couple of others, uh, I think they've kind of got the same initial premise of uh, naturally trying to help their peoples, which is uh, uh, something like obvious, but, uh, but, but I guess that's where we're all coming from. But the conclusion they come to from a policy perspective uh, is radically different. Uh, and it seems to us that the Fed is really going to stay uh, very, very dovish, uh, even as they, they taper, which I think is something like a specific uh, response to uh, COVID uh, improving. We can talk more about that. But for us, tightening, meaning interest rate rises in the US, uh, is still a long way away. So I think there is quite a distinction maybe between uh, a relatively small number, low number of central banks, RBNZ will be one of those, versus some of the, the other uh, uh, big guys, I guess, uh, the Fed perhaps uh, chief amongst them. Yeah, it's 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 quite a contrast. And here we are starting to get some wage pressure as well. The labour market's held up nicely. But gee, if you'd asked me uh, a year ago, um, would I would I want to put some money on house prices going up 30% in a year? I would have thought, no way will that happen. Um, but the combination of, of really, really low interest rates and um, and the labour market being held up uh, fairly strongly uh, to, a, to a large extent because of the support the government's um, provided um, has meant we've had this amazing situation where houses have become even more unaffordable than what they were when we ran into the pandemic. So very, very hard things for um, to, to balance up. And you know, house prices per se aren't the central bank's focus here. Um, but in terms of the broader policy mix, um, it's it's not that great to have house prices have gone up 30% uh, over such a short space of time from from that equality angle that's uh, that's become so important as you've as you've mentioned. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we stand out on our own for a bit. We've done that uh, in the past before, but uh, it tended to have not uh, lasted too long. The other thing we're seeing here that's really rocketed up. Um, is our um, our bond yield? So, be it in the wholesale market for us to raise money, or the or the government, our our ten year bond yield's gone from half a percent uh, this time a year ago to two percent today, which is still incredibly low, but a but a but a big step up, and that seems to be one of the things that's um, giving giving global markets a little bit of the jitters at the moment is just these thoughts about higher long term rates. How do you see that? settling into the mix of things that investors have to worry about globally and and are you in the camp of rates settling at historically low levels or do you think they could push higher than the ranges we've seen over the past six months because of some of these inflation concerns? I think this is maybe the key question of the moment so uh, let's uh, let's talk about it. So uh, firstly we think that uh, uh, the Fed, let's talk about the Fed, the world's most important central bank uh, I guess, we think they are going to be super uh, slow to raise the Fed funds uh, rate. So we think uh, they do nothing in 22, uh, maybe a couple of hikes in 23, uh, and then much, not much thereafter. So they're going to do a very little bit and then a pause. So we are, at BlackRock, we are quite uh, dovish to the markets and uh, even dovish to the Fed, uh, uh, the famous dot plots and, uh, and all of that. So at the short end, uh, we think uh, interest rates are going to stay very low. But um, the, as you're saying, longer term uh, interest rates are uh, somewhat more governed by the market, right? They, they can move around a bit, as you've seen in New Zealand with that, uh, that move from 50 basis points to 
to two. Um, you're seeing versions of that are kind of all over the uh, the Western world, at least. And we think that can continue. So what does that mean? It means that uh, we are uh, strategically, I suppose, uh, underweight developed market government bonds, uh, because as uh, many of your listeners will know, if yields continue to go up, uh, driven by inflation concerns or uh, other aspects, other issues, uh, if yields are up, that means the price of the bond is going down. So I would say this is a kind of key pillar for our overall portfolio uh, framing, I suppose, is this idea that even though the Fed, the ECB, Bank of England and uh, others are going to stay kind of very dovish in terms of the, in- the bit of the interest rates they control, uh, we think the market is going to continue to uh, uh, to be uh, incrementally concerned around uh, medium-term inflation uh, and therefore uh, not too fast, but uh, over time, we can see yields continue to tickle higher, which, as I say, means the price of the bond is going to go uh, lower. Hence, our strategic underweight for developed market government bonds is uh, is a view we hold at the moment. Yeah, it's um, it, it links in with this question for those longer term uh, bonds uh, and and their appropriate yields is. Um, you know, where does inflation finally settle? And, and the Reserve Bank, I guess, like most central banks, uh, the the wrap up line is in the uh, in the longer term. We expect to uh, inflation to average around whatever their target is. In, in our case, two uh, percent. So not too unusual there. Um, and and the Reserve Bank said that today. Uh, but gee, along the way, um, our inflation's going to hit uh, from consumer price inflation hit four percent per annum. Which is uh, which is a pretty high number, and we're seeing that in, in other parts of the world. That suddenly, from in, inflation being too low and bouncing around naught to one percent from a consumer price index perspective, there's lots of places that have got uh, inflation over three percent now. And we could probably do an entire podcast uh, on whether inflation's transitory or more entrenched, and. Um, that's the million-dollar question, with um, along with uh, where do bond yields settle? I guess that only the only the next year or so will um, will answer for us. Uh, yeah, I mean that you're right. I think that is the critical question, and so I I, I I'm uh, I have enough time in here in my little room at home. So I I looked up the dictionary definition of transitory, and it means not permanent. So I guess <laughs> as long as you like, really, as long as it's not uh, uh, eternity. So uh, and transitory, I think, is already persisting a bit longer uh, than many, including some central bank uh, uh, central bankers were, were expecting. Uh, and that, I think, is one of the reasons why uh, I guess the market has got uh, a little bit of the heebie-jeebies over the last uh, week or two. Uh, for us, uh, they're going to continue to treat it as transitory, uh, we think, uh, the Fed I'm talking about here. Uh, because it seems to us uh, this is not your uh, grandfather's Fed. They changed uh, how they do their job formally uh, in August of last year. And I won't go too into the weeds here, but they, they, I think this is a huge deal. They formally changed how they do their job, what the target of inflation is. They've moved from uh, kind of a clear target to a fuzzy target, and that gives them a lot more discretion. Uh, and I think they're going to use that discretion uh, to take on more of the burden of diverse and inclusive growth, uh, sustainability, and other issues, uh, rather than just a narrow focus on inflation kind of 2%. So my job, I think, is not to argue if that's right or wrong. It's just very different from the Fed of uh, of yesteryear, as it were. Uh, And for us, what that means is uh, the Fed has the ability, even in the face of uh, what looks uh, 
as you're saying, Chris, what looks like a kind of high inflation, uh, they have the ability uh, to look through that. Uh, the, the new framework uh, uh, permits that, I suppose. And I think the Fed's going to use that uh, to play their role uh, supporting fiscal policy. I think the blending of fiscal and monetary policy is uh, is clearly happening. Uh, again, that's something of a big change uh, from the last uh, maybe 30 or 40 years, going back to Volcker, Thatcher, all that stuff. Uh, and we term that a policy revolution. We think that's uh, sort of a huge deal. So uh, inflation, I think, uh, whether it's transitory or not, is one question. But I think the Fed's going to treat it as transitory, uh, even in the face of relatively high, uh, high prints. And that's going to give them the space, uh, the framework gives them the space to stay dovish and to continue to look through it, even as oil prices uh, drift higher, rent drifts higher and so forth, because transitory means not permanent. Uh, and that can be a long time, of course. Yeah, and and at a, at a really basic level, when a um, when a central bank has um, has multiple targets, um, the, the the Fed's really um, laying out their priority that the, the, the labour market and um, and getting some real strength there is is important, and they'll tolerate some inflation that goes along with it. And in the RBNZ's case, that's a new thing for us. The um, the recent um, uh, well, the, it's not that recent now, but uh, the change in government here always goes hand in hand with a fresh set of policy target agreements. And they did include the labour market um, over recent years. Um, in the past, it's just been inflation. But of course, the Fed's always been there. But it seems like there's a real clear skew that way. And my favourite magazine, The Economist, they had an article this uh, week to say that the uh, wage growth in the uh, in the lower quartile was was stronger and in percentage terms than the and then the higher um, quartile so that's uh, I guess it's working in that sense I, I think that's right I think there's a few things going on maybe a bit less globalization so hard as a source cheap labor uh, um, and a few other aspects but I think you're right I think we're seeing uh, the relative uh, improvement of uh, let's say lower skilled uh, wages versus higher skilled wages. And I think many people politically perceive that to be, you know, a good thing with a capital G. And I think, uh, crucially, that would include uh, uh, the Fed. So I think uh, exactly as you said, Chris, I think uh, the Fed isn't just prepared to tolerate some higher inflation. I actually think they want it, right? They, 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 I think they think the mistake of the last uh, couple of decades has been too little inflation and uh, kind of a too hawkish uh, structural bias and always worrying about inflation. It never happens. So I think they want to, in their framing, I think, kind of correct for that and therefore actually strive for higher inflation because that should create higher nominal growth, which I guess can be a good thing uh, because uh, maybe a consequence of that can be a tighter labour market, uh, including for the poorest of society, and that's, uh, that's good. So again, that's not my view or my framing necessarily, but I think that's the kind of huge change in the... Uh, the political zeitgeist, I suppose, that's taken place maybe over the last uh, 10 years or so going back to the GFC. And I think that is, I think, understanding that change of, uh, not to get too pretentious here, Chris, but change of that philosophical approach is kind of a huge deal for understanding why we're seeing uh, what used to be called unorthodox policy, right, QE and stuff, but it's been around for a decade. Yeah. So I guess it's now uh, orthodox and I think can uh, can persist. Yeah, and when when looking at the last couple of months, and clearly there's been some things that have given um, global investors the jitters, everything you're saying um, 
really reinforces this view that there's a lot of things underwriting um, growth at the moment, be it the um, the government's deficits that they're prepared to run uh, and central banks preparing to give growth a, a decent chance and, and keep rates lower than what you'd normally think if we would apply the framework of 10 years ago where they would, starting to, they would be wanting to react to the sort of inflation pressure we've got now. So that's that's not a bad environment for for many companies to deal with, as long as they're on the the right side of some of the pricing pressures that are that are taking place. But um, are there any other things that you think are making markets a little bit nervous over the past month or so when we've seen this um, this I guess four percent retreat from the from the record highs we saw during the uh, the the middle part of the third quarter? I think there's an important nuance within the inflation debate. So there was. A kind of a, a belief that it was a very short term, a kind of a positive demand shock as uh, as various countries moved from restrictions on to restrictions off. So you had like a positive demand shock uh, at the same time, maybe as some short term supply bottlenecks caused by COVID uh, uh, inconveniences, I guess. So that was kind of the understanding. But I think over the last two or three weeks, uh, there's been an increased concern that some of this uh, uh, supply side problem could be structural, uh, crucially in the energy area. So, you know, you can pick your favorite country, China, it's coal, uh, Europe, it's gas, uh, globally, I guess it's oil, but they're all going up something like a lot uh, in terms of price. Uh, and I think what that's speaking to is a, a concern that there's a structural supply uh, issue. Uh, and, you know, to remind everyone, it takes five years to build an LNG uh, uh, natural gas terminal. So these, uh, if indeed this is the problem, uh, this is not a, a problem that could be solved uh, with the flick of an interest rate from uh, low to a bit higher. So I, I, I don't think uh, necessarily uh, that that is uh, the right kind of uh, definitive answer, but I think the market has become incrementally concerned, not just about inflation, but about the type of inflation uh, and it potentially being a little bit more structural and harder to get, harder to get rid of rather than the, I, I guess, the transitory short-term demand supply bottleneck inconvenience, but it will pass kind of thought, which was uh, dominant uh, uh, as recently as three or four weeks ago, I think. Yeah, and it's it's just one one more thing to add onto the list of uh, the um, permanent or transitory, and 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 likewise, some of the supply chain issues as things change um, have been around a lot longer than we uh, we forecast. Um, one of the issues that popped up today when I was talking to a customer is they can't get pallets to ship things on. Now, those things you, you used to see them lying all around the, any industrial area, just mountains of pallets. And, uh, and now even pallets are, uh, are tight for shipping, shipping goods. So it's just amazing how much, um, how much changed. And, um, you know, a weird thing is here we are uh, in October. Um, every now and then, uh, over the past 30 years, people have always said to me, oh, October is a terrible month to invest um, or share markets are expensive. These are common things that seem to pop up every now and here we are with markets getting a little bit jittery in, in October again. Um, but it's uh, it's pleasing to see, as I said at the start of the um, podcast, that the New Zealand markets actually had quite a quite a good patch over this period. So, um, you know, plenty of reasons for us to stick with uh, our sort of longer term goals and and diversified approach. The other thing we're seeing here um, is really strong commodity prices. So those um, 
um, we're seeing we're agricultural commodities primary here in New Zealand, um, but um, we are seeing really good prices for our um, export commodities. So there's there's some good news stories on the global price pressure front for New Zealanders as well. So hey, um, we've um, we've taken up a lot of your time and um, got some great insights. But um, let's wrap up by um, by just summarising what are the things you're going to be keeping an eye on over the over the rest of the year and what do you think is important for investors to keep focused on over the over the uh, the, the closing quarter of 2021? Yeah, Chris, no, it's been fun. Thanks for again for, for having me. Uh, I, I would say a couple of things uh, in closing, I guess. Firstly, uh, is we should stick to kind of our fundamental beliefs uh, and not try to get whipped around too much by... Uh, a short-term market action. I, I'm extremely aware that that is easier said than done. But for us, the uh, I guess the key uh, to our views is still uh, very low global interest rates, uh, indeed negative real rates, uh, and that is just quite a positive backdrop for uh, uh, for share markets uh, globally. Um, uh, we, we we read the papers. We're aware they've done quite well over the last. Uh, couple of years since the depths of COVID, I guess, and even back 10 years, uh, if one wants to look further. But for us, if we have this combination of uh, what we call an activity restart, uh, hopefully coming to Singapore and uh, uh, and New Zealand soon, moving to restrictions off, if we have that spreading from America, UK to, to kind of everywhere, uh, that activity restart combined with still a very, very supportive policy uh, from many central banks, but of course, crucially, the Fed, uh, that's just quite a it's just quite a positive backdrop So we would definitely uh, uh, be advising, I suppose, not to get uh, uh, whipsawed by the last couple of weeks. Uh, there have been real concerns, as we've talked about uh, through this call, through this podcast. But for us, that's a combination of uh, a strong economic recovery plus still very supportive growth uh, is still quite constructive. Uh, and hence, we would be uh, uh, overweight equities within the portfolio. Uh, even after the good uh, performance uh, we talked about. So that would be my, I guess, my main takeaway is stick with the fundamentals. Uh, and as I say, we still think uh, even with the performance we've seen, the fundamentals look uh, quite encouraging for risk uh, and share markets in particular. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a reassuring message. And actually, it's very similar to the way we, um, uh, what we heard from our, one of our local share fund managers Um and uh, and in an earlier podcast, and shared the fact that not only is the economic environment um, beyond the immediate lockdowns, um, but the economic environment when it comes to interest rates and government support, not only is that really supportive and positive, add in a, a reopening and the fact that a number of companies' balance sheets are actually in really good positions. It's a uh, it's a far more encouraging situation than 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 some of the headlines in the newspaper would certainly have investors uh, thinking so it's pleasant to um to finish on that note and uh, I hope we can talk again and um, and compare notes in a uh, in a few months time Ben so thanks for your time today you bet great to be with you look forward to next time thanks for listening to the ASB investment podcast if you have any thoughts on today's episode or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on a future show, Get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz.